Did you know stores offering upsells increase their average order value by 10 to 30% on average? Every Shopify store with more than one product should have an upsell strategy. My go-to app for running those upsells is Bold Upsell. It is the number one rated and most review upsell app on Shopify. I use it for my clients because it supports true upsells. Did you know there's a difference? A true upsell is where the upsell offer replaces the item being added to cart. For example, you're buying a one pound bag of coffee, the store offers you a two pound bag for just $10 more. You accept it, the two pound bag replaces the one pound bag in your cart. That's an upsell. A cross sells like an accessory. It gets added to the cart in addition. So if I offered you a coffee mug to go with your coffee beans, that's a cross sell. This matters because a true upsell typically converts 20 times better than a cross sell. Now it gets better here. Bold upsell also supports funnel offers. So let's say a customer says no to that two pound coffee bag. Bold can then offer them a different upsell like a one and a half pound bag. Maybe they say yes to that. So then we can offer them the coffee mug as well. So you'd see where this can radically increase your average order value. If you're not sure which products to upsell though, I have a solution. When you install BoldBrain for free, it works with Upsell to create the highest converting upsells ever through machine learning. It's upselling on autopilot. We talked about it back in episode 151. Now, as an unofficial Shopify podcast listener, Bold is offering you their upsell app free for 60 days. Oh my gosh, 60 days. To get this special offer, go to kurtelster.com bold, and you'll be able to install it from there. That's kurtelster.com bold. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO. The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get, and more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily, and it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit, plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them, they are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever when you sign up at seomanager.com slash unofficial. That's seomanager.com slash unofficial. Today on the Unofficial Shopify Podcast, we are going to do an SEO Q&A with a guest in which we ask your FAQs on the topic. And Rianne Boitler from Ventoff, uh, makers of the popular SEO app, are going is, is going to cover that SEO uh, Q&A with answers from ABC to XYZ. I'm your host, Kurt Elster, aka KGE. All right, that's enough of the <laughs> abbreviation jokes. That's all I got off the top of my head, no less, too. So, uh, Rian, I'm going to allow you to introduce yourself. People have heard the uh, my my ad reads for your apps uh, many times at this point, but tell me, what what is it you do? Who do you represent? What's going on here? 
what is happening? My name is Rian Boitler, and I am the COO and co-founder of Ventov. We are Shopify app development company. We're Shopify experts. We used to do Shopify consulting, but we do not do that anymore. We just focus on our app products. We've got three apps in the app store. We've got SEO Manager, Order Lookup, and Clocked In. Blah, and yeah. how long have you been doing that? Oh, a really long time now. Um, well, I feel like in tech, everything, you know, multiply each year by 10, but six years, seven. <laughs> so like basically from, <laughs> from the early days, that's from not a long time. Day, but My business partner uh, used to email directly with Toby back, back in the olden days for s- support. So we've been around for a hot minute. It's fun when you Google something and find a really old thread in the Shopify community forums and like Toby's personally responding to it. It's amazing. I love it. It's it's one of uh, the, the really cool things about our company is we got in on the ground floor. We saw we we recognized where my business partner had the foresight to recognize that this was a great opportunity. And when we joined forces, we had a conversation and we were like, let's continue to go all in on Shopify. We believe in Shopify and we've never looked back. We're a Shopify dependent product. We only work with Shopify. So we really only know about Shopify. And that's cool because when it comes to SEO or or any anything that we are expert experts in, we know so much about it because we're just focused on this one platform. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. As soon as you niche down and dive into something, it's not that you get bored of it or you just master it. You discover that anything this complex that is always evolving, whether you're learning about it or not, is like an onion. I mean, you're, you will peel back layers forever because it's not like the, the platform stops developing or the ecosystem right. stops developing. You will just become a uh, a deep expert at it. Exactly. Uh, we've got... Uh, in my Facebook group, we'd asked like, hey, what are your SEO questions? And there are so many. There were 42, so many. <laughs> 42 comments, quite a few. So like, sadly, we're not going to be able to cover every question, but we've selected some. Um, and I have my own questions, too, that will preempt oh. some of the, the listener questions. I apologize. Okay. <laughs> and so I, I just want to run through those with you. And yes. I want to open with like the... This is a, a real question from the group, but this is like such a great softball for you. We'll open with this one. Do those SEO apps really work? I don't, it, when the person asked this, they had no idea who I was going to put the questions to. <laughs> so as a developer of uh, what I think is like one of the, what is the oldest um, and possibly the best rated SEO app in the Shopify app store. There you go. There's that plug for you. There you go. Boom. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> The um, do those SEO apps really work is the question, you know, and that that's actually a really good and fair question, because what the the short answer is, yes, the the long answer is within reason and, and you have to mitigate expectation, right? We, we've gotten so many emails in the past where it's like, oh, this is really a DIY tool, right? SEO manager is a, is a power tool. We give you the resources to succeed in SEO to make sure you are technically proficient in hitting all the technical marks that Google wants you to hit. And we're telling you if you have 404s, we're telling you all of the stuff. What we do not do is do the work for you. So if that is your expectation of just clicking a button and, and, and it just being implemented, those SEO apps do they work in the short term? 
Sure. But automation for SEO overall, in my opinion, is a bad idea because Google can tell if you're automating processes on your store. Oh, no way. Yeah, 100%. They can tell if your content's automated because, I mean, like alt text, for instance, right? If you have the, let's say if you have 15 images, 20 images on a product and you have the exact same alt text and it's templated, of course, Google knows that that's templated. They know you haven't written that. So they see, yeah, because a lot of these, the apps that are automated, um, it's like, oh, we'll add alt text to all your images. And rather, like, obviously it can't use, well, I guess in theory it could, but it doesn't like use machine learning and look at the app and write alt text based off that. It just grabs the right. product title and maybe the variant title and just jams that in there. And it's like, all right, well, that's better than nothing, I think. Yeah, it, it probably is better than nothing, but it doesn't hit the mark as to what Google's looking for for alt text. It's not just looking for there to be text associated with an image. It's looking for that image to become accessible and to really explain what that image is. And and frankly, you just can't do that through templating. Now, will I, I will say this because full disclosure, we do have a templating feature that most people do not use. And, and the reason we launched it is, and not for alt text, it's just for meta, um, I'm sorry, it's for page titles. And, and the reason we launched it is for drop shippers who have thousands and thousands and thousands of products. The best practice is to not use that. It's to go in and to write all of that yourself. But obviously, we had to acknowledge the fact that there's many people who do drop ship in the Shopify community who have thousands of products, and, and we wanted to, to serve them. But it's not a best practice for SEO. So based on your experience um, talking to merchants, doing support for this app, what do you think is the most common misconception about uh, either you know, SEO apps uh, or SEO in general for Shopify? Well, I think that it's twofold. One is that if you just click some buttons, your SEO is going to be good forever. And that's just not the case. SEO is a long, long game. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You have to do the right things consistently to see results. And I understand that can be frustrating because you're paying for an app and you want to see these results like tomorrow. And that's just simply not the case. And if you do see results tomorrow, you might want to ask yourself, why am I seeing results so quickly? Because in SEO, if something seems too good to be true, it's 100% too good to be true. And then in terms of Shopify and SEO, Shopify has some really great native tooling for SEO and especially because of their control over the theme store and uh, making sure that these themes that we can install through the theme store are optimized and fast and accessible. Um, that That's important. But And there's some misconceptions about SEO and Shopify. Like, for instance, I did see um, in the Facebook, on the Facebook group, it's like, well, are our backlinks downranked because of the way that Shopify hosts, right? Was that one of the questions? It was like about how I've Shopify deals with it. Endless misconceptions about the things Shopify supposedly does and doesn't do regarding SEO. Like there are too many for me to keep up with. There, there, yes, um, there, yes. But here's what someone asks. Uh, well, Lucas Walker uh, asks, what are some common SEO myths specifically around Shopify? Which, okay, that was essentially the, the question I just asked. Um, but to your <laughs> point, he said, for example, multiple URLs for the same destination, yes. including collections in the full URL string. I've seen that a lot where people are like, that's they just jump straight to, they don't even ask the question, they just jump straight to uh, this like statement of fact having that 
slug collections or that slug products in the URL is bad SEO. How do I fix that? Is that, is that true? I don't think that's true. How's this? I, SEO changes so often. Was that true five years ago? Maybe, probably. Is that true now? Absolutely not. In um, December 2019, Google announced something called BERT, which means bi-directional encoder representations from transformers. Not that anyone's going to remember that. What? And ultimately, it's neural matching, which means that Google can relate words to concepts and how searches relate to concepts locally. And, and Google's smart enough to know if you've got multiple URLs or if there's duplicate content that makes sense on your store, that you're not being spammy, that that's just how you should be. Hmm. And and ad additionally, there's since 2016, there's been an AI um, feature called Rank Brain, which relates pages to con concepts. So back in the olden days, you'd, you'd really want to like throw those keywords in and really make sure you're driving the point. And even people would do, you know, uh, keywords that were misspelled in case it was a direct match. I'm sure you remember that, Kurt. It was like a people just were trying to hit what Google was. Google just knows. It's like, oh, you're definitely writing about this thing. We understand what you're doing. So if you're doing your best and you're not participating in black hat efforts for SEO, you're going to be fine as long as you follow best practices for SEO. So give me, I, I like that advice. And that's largely the advice um, that I have gone where it's like, okay, you can go as deep into it as you want, as long as it remains ethical and ultimately you are providing genuinely good content because every uh search query is a question and your website is potentially the answer and that's how you should look at this 100 um, percent. so i i like that like ten thousand foot view strategy of seo you had mentioned hey it's got to be ethical you, you have to avoid black hat for the sake of understanding give me an example of a black hat effort a thing you should uh. specifically not do is very bad makes you a bad boy don't do this Okay, definitely do not buy backlinks. Do not buy backlinks. Do not buy backlinks. I don't care if they cost $100 or $5,000. Do not buy them. It is a bad practice. Google will catch you. you. The thing with backlinks, the reason why it's so attractive to buy back or backlinks is because you do get results right away until Google finds out that you're buying the backlinks, which, by the way, they find out re relatively quickly, and then they blacklist you off of Google. So that's something that we see. And then, you you know, let's say you have done this and you're listening to this and you're like, oh, my gosh, what have I done? You need to crawl your site using a tool like Moz and to see the backlinks. Moz has a spam tool and it'll tell you if your backlinks are spammy or not. You then have to go into Google and disavow all of those backlinks. And the problem with bad backlinks is they like spawn and create baby backlinks that are also bad. And so web of bad. Just don't do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So I actually have experience with this. A okay. few years ago, uh, someone reached out to me. It was a, an SEO guy that worked in e-commerce. And he's like, hey, I was just, you know, I was bored. I was plugging stuff into uh, Moz. And I noticed that your agency website, EtherCycle, has a ton of bad backlinks. And it looks like you were the victim of a negative SEO campaign. Mm -hmm. And so I looked it up. And he sent me the links. And sure enough, there were uh, hundreds to thousands of backlinks where, that were like, cheap, get cheap Cialis online, buy mm -hmm. Viagra, no prescription. Yes. And they all went back that. to 
EtherCycle.com, the damn homepage oh, no. of our agency website. And so um, that was distressing. But in looking at the Google Analytics, I don't think it had any actual impact, luckily. Um, so, you know, like somebody wasted their time at it. And then uh, the solution was I uh, was able to use one of these tools, I forgot which one, to produce a spreadsheet of all the negative backlinks and then submit those in one go mm. to the disavow tool. And then whoop, they went away. Um, and even like in the short like, I didn't catch it until, like, 60, 90 days after it had happened. Um, but even in that time, like, a lot of the sites had already 404'd and were going, missing. Mm. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, that would be, like, all right, don't buy backlinks for your own site. Also, don't attempt to buy backlinks for other people's right. sites. That's probably a waste of your time. Yeah, it's it's a waste of your time and it's unethical. I You know, I used to work in banking and... I would always tell my team if they'd say, Rian, do you think this is ethical? Right? X is ethical. I would always tell them, if you have to ask me if something is ethical, that means it isn't. Oh, for sure. You know, if you have to stop and be like, uh, if you're not sure. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely not okay. And, And that should be applied to SEO too. If you're like, is this fine or is this black hat? If you have to even for a second wonder if it's black hat, don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, it's not worth the risk, even it's if not- it's like, oh, you got some short-term gain out of it. Well, and that's the problem with black hat SEO. It does give you short-term gain. And and so that's why it's so appealing to people. But it's what you're not anticipating. You're not thinking three, six, you know, a year, a year down the road. You're just not thinking about it. Hey, just... Uh- to give some social proof, to include why we should listen to you. Yes. The headline on your website is, since 2010, we have helped over 70,000 Shopify merchants scale their businesses. Yes, that is true. Actually, it's more like 100,000 now. We're, we're working on uh, re- rebuilding our website or redesigning our website, and that number has gone up since we built that <laughs> since we went, since we put it put it on the website two years ago. You know, it would be cool and like totally pointless, but solely for like... <laughs> a developer to have a shiny toy is if that number was dynamic. It, it would be really cool. Don't tell, um, don't tell our developers. I mean, Let's it, pretend like we've never had this conversation. Just start messaging them. <laughs> just start messaging them. They're going to be like, Rian, we want to build this thing. I'm like, please no. Like, hey, I got this really good idea <laughs> from someone who I heard it. said to remain I heard it nameless. On the internet. <laughs> it's from the internet. Uh, in the so you you mentioned you like hey here's some of the updates that you know maybe people weren't aware of regarding the Google algorithm and the Google algorithm is like their their bread and butter it is the cornerstone of that that company of that search engine so there are many many very smart PhDs working on that and all yeah. the time and that's why it's like it is just utter folly and ridiculousness to think you can outsmart it Abs- absolutely I mean I. To be a quote unquote SEO expert, I literally read documentation and white papers 10 to 20 hours a week to stay on top of what's going on right now. And Google only releases so much of what they're doing to the public. It's proprietary. It's proprietary. So we have to, as SEO professionals, backfill, try to back solve what's going on and then make inferences based off of what we see. Like we're running basically science experiments all the time. And a really good tool for people, though, where Google lays out the changes they're making is the official Google Webmaster Central blog. They, It's a great tool. It's relatively accessible. Yes, it is a bit high level. But if you're curious, as the listeners, on 
the newest, latest and greatest things that Google's rolling out, they announced their biggest things there. I have I have found it and I am including it in the show notes. Are there any other resources you go to for continuing education to stay on top of uh, SEO developments? Absolutely. So on Twitter, I follow Google Search Liaison, which is just at Search Liaison. And I love that because they push out information fairly consistently. And it's just a good thing to follow. Again, it can be a little... I, I do want to be cognizant that most people aren't SEO nerds who sit and read white papers all day. Like that is not something that for most people they would find that enjoyable. Um, so I do want to be cognizant and, and, and also recommend a tool that is very, way more accessible. And that's the, let me, what's it called? A beginner's guide to Google search console by Moz. I'm Googling it. I will include that in there as well. I, yeah. I, I everybody loves Moz. Moz. I, you know, Moz also has just like a SEO 101 kind of free um, ebook or free, I don't know, it's like a series of PDFs, I think. I always recommend, like that's part of our onboarding process when we onboard our, our support team members and they're like, teach me base level SEO. I'm like, before I even talk to you, read this book or re read this, read through this. And, and I always recommend it. Hmm. Uh, which is the book? What am I it, looking for? It, it's not even a real book. I, I don't know why I just called oh. it a book. Okay. Ma, I always call it Ma's SEO 101, which is what I'm Googling. It's called Beginner's Guide to SEO. Okay. I will find that. Well, actually, they have a whole category here called SEO Basics. Mm-hmm. They do. Oh, and they have, they've got Moslow's Hierarchy of SEO Needs, which I love. It, it's a great visual tool that shows you you know, top to bottom, what you should be doing and how to think about your store and how to integrate your technical components as well as your content components to really succeed in terms of organic marketing. Okay. Uh, I want to, I've included those links in the show notes. Okay. Perfect. I want to go back. One of the recent changes that has happened to the algorithm um, is mobile indexing first. Yes. What? Yes. I, I can infer vaguely what that means. What specifically does it mean? You're the expert. So that happened on March 5th. And we kind of saw it coming because Google likes to kind of drop breadcrumbs when they're going to do something really big. And mobile first indexing means Google's going to crawl and index your the mobile version of your store before they crawl and index the web version of your store. As more and more people transition to shopping on their phones or on their iPads, which is also considered mobile, it's becoming, it's, it has become the most important mechanism by which Google can check your accessibility and, and your rankability and your trustworthiness and all the things that make SEO what it is. So if you, if your store is not really quality on mobile, let's say you have an old theme, because this can just be like a theme change, right? You, make sure that your mobile experience is quality. And if you don't know if it is quality, hand your phone and maybe not right now, but just in general, or ask, you know, ask your parents or ask your friends like, Hey, can you go online and can we zoom? And I want to see you looking at my store and, and going through it and try not to say, Hey, no, you're supposed to click the button there. Hey, no, you're supposed to do this. So it's, it's kind of a combination of, of UX and SEO and, and everything that makes it an, a store, a store is what was what matters regarding this. The thing that drives me a little batty about Google 
is its alarmist nature. And it's yes. <laughs> in that I can always tell when a change and update gets pushed because I will suddenly get forwards from 20 merchants being like, should I be worried about this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's often stuff that's like just nonsense recommendations um, that Google suddenly like pushed forth through webmaster tools. Just comment on this. This drives me insane. The, I mean, Google wants you to be technically perfect, right? Which is what you get through web, webmaster tools is you get these tiny little fixes, but Google looks at over 200 ranking signals. So if a teeny tiny thing is broken technically or, or isn't technically perfect, that's not going to tank your store. What will tank your store is if you're not optimized for mobile or if your page takes 30 seconds to load, you know, things like that, like that, those are problems. If, if you're, if you're if you've got a lot of four or four errors, those are the things that really hurt you. Not a small JavaScript error on your homepage. Okay. And you know, <laughs> you brought up, I, you brought up the, the terrible specter of page speed and that like, that's something that absolutely tortures Shopify merchants and probably most yeah. webmasters at this point, because unless you have just a nearly plain text website running on your own server where you could do your own configuration and like, you're not going to get a perfect score. My business right. partner, Paul Rita famously, uh, not famously, but uh, always gives himself a pat on the back. He has a 100 out of 100 score in Google PageSpeed for desktop and mobile. His website has no images. <laughs> it is just a few paragraphs of text on a white background. And we even, we on our server, we run the Google PageSpeed Apache tool. So <laughs> that's what it takes if you want that perfect score. So it's like, I, I tell people, take it with a grain of salt. Um, yeah. Like at least, especially their recommendations, but okay. Tell me more. Now you okay. talk now. Well, I regarding page speed, right? This is the do your best situation. And and that's how I think you should always look at, at SEO. I mean, this is how I, I think about e-commerce in general, right? Like so much of life is just do your absolute best. And, and hopefully that's good enough. People don't get outside of Paul. People don't get a hundred on their speed test. I've never seen it. I've not, you know, if you're in the 60s, you're probably fine. 70s, you're probably okay Be because there's inherent limitations. Like you said, the second that you put an image, there, there's inherent weight there. You can't just get rid of the weight. Now, can you compress it? Yes. Can you make it smaller? Yes. As, as you know, um, Shopify already handles the compression when it comes to products and collections and things like that. The themes do not handle compression. So it's, probably important to use a tool like Kraken. That's my favorite tool to just compress your images a little bit. I like because, tiny ping, but I'll put well, links to both in here. I like tiny ping too. I, I, I'm not married to any, I'm married to any that work. So <laughs> I'm, but I, I've been doing these consults the past few weeks, um, to help out merchant. And one thing I'm seeing over and over and over is I've got this giant 5k monitor and I've got an image that is perfect on a 5k monitor. It's just, it doesn't need to, to pull up like that. Like there can be some loss. It can be a little lossy because most people, especially if you, if you're a mobile first business, which most businesses are, you don't need that level or that weight of image. Oh yes. Yeah. The, you're right. Most people are going to view your site quickly from a phone, which has a five inch yes. screen, but right. then you like you as the merchant 
you spend more time on your website than anyone else, which means you also may have full screened Chrome on your 30 inch ultra wide monitor. No one but you is doing that. Right, right, exactly. I'm like, wow, this image is beautiful. Why is it so beautiful? (laughs) (laughs) It's a little too good. It's a little too good. Yeah. Um, so like there's that trade-off that where people, you know, they're like, I want my website faster. And then something will say, okay, well, tell us which apps, scripts, images, videos, content you want to get rid of to make that happen. And it's like, well, I don't want to get rid of any of it. Okay, well, then there's no way to make it faster. You know, it's very much like, well, I want to lose weight. Okay, well, it's calories in, calories out. I mean, it, right. a very similar mindset has to take place there. Um, like you, you will have to sacrifice something um, to a point. But you know, at the same time, it's also questionable. Like... Um, what the impact is. Will a faster website perform better? A faster website won't hurt. Will a slow website hurt you? A slow website won't help you. I think is right. like, that's the, um, the safe and pragmatic way to look at that. And I have uh, a few, I have one client store in particular I could think of that really has a pretty dismal load time, terrible scores. It's still a multiple million dollar business right Um, yeah now would it be more if the site was faster potentially but like there's just there are inherent technical limitations to what we're doing here oh and i'm like all right so you know i I take issue with a lot of the recommendations that google page speed makes and like for example here's one if the image you use is sized larger than its container so let's say you're the the image it's a 600 pixel wide image and it's displayed in a 300 pixel wide uh, box on the website. Google will ding you for this. But the reason you might want to do that, there are two reasons. One, on a retina device, it will make it look really sharp. And we know that product photos, especially high quality photos, being able to zoom on photos, that actually has quite, um, that has a a market impact on conversion rate, right? The first thing about a third of people do when they land on a product page is go straight for those product photos. And so we want to be able to zoom the image in. And so that like, that's a perfectly legitimate reason that you might have the image larger than it needs to be in its container. Google will ding you for this. So it's like, all right, did you want it to be, did you want that page to be one tenth of a second faster? Or did you want your conversion rate to go up by 10%? You know that, so there, again, there are trade-offs here. Well, and and ironically, your conversion actually impacts your your um your search your your search position. How does it and know? your ranking? It, it because Google crawls through it. It will follow the path and and watch how people navigate and if they actually check out. I always like to oh, operate under Analytics. the fact that Google knows everything. You're right. It does. <laughs> yeah, because Google Analytics, especially if you yeah. have an enhanced e-commerce it, enabled, exactly. it knows everything about that transaction. We just both got really excited. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, well, this is the thing. I think people like to think of SEO in this box, right? They're like, if I do these 10 things, I'm going to be successful in SEO. It's, I like to um, equate SEO to being a multidimensional Rubik's Cube. So you have to solve so many things at once. And while that may seem overwhelming, it's important to remember that the things on your store, like, like for instance, this um, site speed issue with this um, image, right? If it, if it costs you 0.1 seconds, but then it converts five times better, that's the best thing. It's net positive. And Google can tell that your store has trust, has authority, converts, is something people care about, 
And that matters so much. Is it quantifiable? No. <laughs> but so much of SEO is not quantifiable. Hold up. What do sophisticated Shopify brands like Chubby's, Nomad, and Blender's Eyewear all have in common? How about my biggest clients like Hoonigan or Keysmart? One thing, they all rely on Klaviyo, the growth marketing platform chosen by the brands you love. Heck, I love it. With a dedicated team of experts and a platform that consumes more data than any other on the market, that tight Shopify integration, Klaviyo helps you own the customer experience and grow higher value relationships. And the results speak for themselves. Brands have made more than $3.7 billion in revenue, that's billion with a B, through Klaviyo in the last year alone. From a shopper's first impression to each subsequent purchase, Klaviyo understands every interaction, empowering brands to create more personalized marketing moments. When you have a 360-degree view of the customer, the growth possibilities are endless. Visit klaviyo.com unofficial. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash unofficial to learn more and start your free trial talk to him okay we have managed to i've asked like two questions <laughs> out of the many people asked but this is very good um all right let me so one thing i'm wondering about is let's say given the uh the pandemic i'm sorry given the bad thing that we should yes. not name because it's upsetting um, right. given the bad thing what happens if I have to, for whatever reason, maybe it's uh, a cash flow issue, maybe it's a supply issue, I have to pause my business? How how do I handle that with Google? You know, it's a, this is a really great question. And on the day, I'm in California, and on the day that um, our governor was like, shut it all down – my phone blew up from my former clients because they're like, we don't know what to do. Do we just shut our store down? And these people do millions and millions of dollars a year, right? And I'm like, hold on, everyone take a breath. And Google has actually now released information on what to do. And I'm glad I gave um, my former client the same advice that Google has now given because uh, it's nice to see that we're in alignment. But basically, you want to limit your site functionality, right? So put a banner up. Or even a pop-up. And, and Google is like generally anti-pop-up. And now in this new documentation they have, they're like, put up a pop-up. Say that you they, you know what's going on. You want to know that or you want to tell people that you're not going to be able to ship for a month or two. And, and maybe that means they don't want to check out with you right now. Or maybe it means they do. Because this specific former client, at first he was just going to totally disable cart functionality, which is one of the things Google recommends. But I said, wait a second, see if people are okay, as long as you clearly tell them what's going on, right? Like you're totally upfront with the fact that this isn't going to ship for at least a month, if not more. And he's still doing about 10 grand a day. <sighs> Pretty good place to be. And, 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 and straight up, it's, it's, we set up for him and like, I haven't been in a Shopify backend for a minute, right? Like this isn't what I do anymore, but I was, I worked all night that night to make sure people were, were on, were up to snuff. And we, we made sure that the email that got sent out, the order confirmation email said exactly what's going to happen and to, to acknowledge the situation and to let people know, we told them in a banner during checkout, right? At cart, like the whole, we, we were like in their face. And people are still checking out and they're not mad. Because you set those expectations. Because you set the expectation. Um, Google also recommends to update your structured data. I don't know how important that is for Shopify merchants per se. And 
also you can force a recrawl if you want. So if you do happen to be in a place where you have to disable cart functionality, which I don't recommend as long as you clearly and concisely communicate what's going on. And I feel like everybody right now kind of gets it, right? Like you are not serving them information that is out, out of this world. It makes sense. Um, so, and, but what Google does say that as well is do not disable, this is directly from Google. Do not disable your website. Do not. So don't just like put the storefront password up in Shopify. That's a really easy way to just lock everybody out of the store temporarily. It's yeah. They said explicitly do not. And I'll send you the link to that blog so you can include it. Oh, good. Yeah. It's a, it's a great blog and I think it's good for everybody to read right now. Uh, some other quick questions for you. Okay. Here's a, a quick one. How long should my alt tags be? Is there such a thing as an alt tag being too long? Your alt tags, there's no such thing as an alt tag being too long that we know of. What I would say is you want it to be under 180 characters and you want to write it as if it's for someone who cannot see what that picture is of. Do not stuff it with a bunch of keywords. Explain what the picture is. And when you're organically explaining what the picture is, you're going to have keywords in there. So that that's my thoughts on alt text. I'm really passionate about alt text because it's something that like hardly anybody does and it's super important. It's an accessibility issue. It's also a search issue. More and more people are shopping through Google Image Search. Google Image Search, and that's right. like a, and you need yeah, the alt text. Right. You um, need the alt text to write good ones. You can't just do this template. You need to actually explain to me what it is. I want to know what you're selling and what the, I'm looking at. Um, the best advice I got on alt tags was from um, Ilana Davis, who uh, did an episode with us about accessibility. And she said, imagine you're talking to someone on the phone and you are looking at a product. Let's say you were shopping for a black purse and you've got this black purse sitting in front of you and you have to describe it to someone over the phone so that they can decide if they want to buy one too. She's like, just describe it like you're describing it to someone over the phone. That's how to handle those like product photo alt tags. And I that was that like... Advice. Immediate mindset shift. Mindset shift. Right. Where I'm like, (laughs) suddenly alt tags make sense. Yeah, I I think that's a a perfect way to look at it. And again, when you when you are describing like this black handbag over the phone, you're organically putting in keywords because you're explaining the product that you're you're selling. Right. Like keywords keywords are important. Keyword stuffing is bad, but natural, legit right explanation will have keywords in it. Yes. And, and again, because of neural matching and because of, of rank brain, um, it's going to associate all of that information together and, and be able to associate it with your image. And then of course, with your store, the, you know, I just blank. Did we answer the, such a thing as them being too long? Um, so no, yes, we did. But the answer is there's no official, documentation on it but i think 180 characters is probably like your max well imagine if someone's like if someone's using um a screen reader and you've Mm -hmm. stuffed like a thousand words in there that's a terrible experience it's a terrible experience and you have to just assume everyone is using a screen reader i like the and if that's a quite the the exercise and frustration if you ever try to use a screen reader i mean like it's it's like you are learning to use a computer entirely all over again um, people should do that. They should try yeah. to try and navigate their own website with a screen reader. I think a lot of people would be horrified. They would be horrified. How tough it is. Yes. 
And then, like that, you want some so <laughs> some empathy. I like that one. All right, but I don't want to. This episode's <laughs> not necessarily about accessibility, but really, accessibility, content marketing, SEO. God, there's a lot of overlap there. There is a lot of overlap. Is a lot of uh, SEO is hand in hand with just about everything. It's it's hand in hand with UX. It's hand in hand with accessibility. It's hand in hand with paid ads. It's, right? It's it's it all matters. Oh, a hundred percent. Um. Let's see. And that actually, that covered another question someone had asked was best practice for alt tags. And do I really write for accessibility or do I stuff keywords? Does it even matter? I think we have, we have thoroughly explored that one. Yes, yes, yes. On the topic of keywords, another question is how do you research keywords to target based on your niche? I use a traffic estimator, but I'm wondering if you recommend another approach. So I use a few different, uh, methodologies for this. One is remember, and you said this earlier in the episode, Kurt, you talked about answering the question that's going to get asked to Google, right? So do some conversational queries to Google that you think that your product is going to meet the needs of or answer the question of and see what Google spits back out at you. And then read through that and see what keywords are there. Then research your competitors. And it's important to research. I call, I have like I kind of tier competitors, like there's direct competitors and there's like aspirational competitors. I used to consult for a streetwear brand and I was like, who's, who's your competitor? And they're like, Nike. And I'm like, eh, not really. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, that's an aspirational competitor. And it's not a bad idea if you're in apparel or streetwear to look at Nike because they kill it and, and they've got a ton of people working on it in deep pockets. But look at your direct competitors and see how they're writing. And see what keywords you're seeing over and over. And this is the most non-technical approach. I literally use a whiteboard and I write them down. And I the ones that I see patterns of. And the other thing that's good for keywords is I use Google AdWords and the Keyword Planner tool. If you want to spend some money, Moz has a really great tool. Um, and, you know, for those of you who are looking at Moz and you're like, this tool, I think the lo- low end is like 90 bucks a month or, or around there. Do it for a month. Get your information out of it, and then and then unsubscribe. But I I really like Moz. I there I have nothing bad to say about that product. I have only good things to say about them, and, and they've got some great keyword researching tools. On the topic of tools, are there any other SEO tools you use or recommend? I well besides my own. Um, so I'm like everyone use SEO Manager, but besides my own, I really I really really love Moz, and it and it it fits a totally different niche than what what our app does. I also love Google Analytics as an SEO tool because once you integrate Google Analytics with Google Search Console, then you get to see how people are finding your site. You get to see if you're moving up in rankings. That's a really powerful tool. And if you're not familiar with Google Analytics, Google does free courses on analytics. So I'd recommend taking those courses because I do want to acknowledge that it can be a challenging tool to use. And I'm all about education and free education and and Google does supply that as well. I like how focused you are on continuing education. That's so that's great <laughs> and important. I love yeah, I love to learn. The should be a life we should all aspire to be lifelong <laughs> learners. Um someone asked a a great hypothetical. They said, let's okay. say my target keyword is purple drank. Okay. And there's a little bit they wrote is purple drank. Um, they said, how should I design my product page around that keyword? Should it be the URL? Where and how often should it show up in my product description? Do my replies to product reviews have any impact for SEO? I, well, all right, so that second one kind of snuck in there, or that the one about product reviews. 
but, but it's important. It's still important. So yeah, the I think the question here is if you know what your keyword is and yes. you've got your product page, how do you go about integrating that keyword into it? Like really, what is that? I'm optimizing for a keyword. What does that really mean? So, I mean, yeah, you want it in your URL and you definitely want it in your page title, right? And, and you want it in your product description, but you do not have to sit there and put it in over and over and over and over. Because again, with neural matching, words relate to concepts, right? So you don't have to like hammer it into Google. Google's like, yeah, we get it. Like we, we already got it. We got it the first time you did it. You don't, you don't need to keep doing it. Google's more focused on you having built content that is cogent and organic and that makes sense. And that sounds like a human being wrote it and that Natural people, that, and, that, and that converts. So one of the things they do, so all right, my understanding of what you're, you're saying about um, the machine learning that Google implemented in the last several years is that it goes beyond the keyword. It understands the context of the page yes. of the site. It gets like, it assigns a topic to these things. Um, so keyword stuffing is not enough to game it because it gets context. It also understands what is and isn't natural language. So if a site is right. like really grammatically damaged, that is not, that is going to be detrimental um, to it, its ranking. So, and keyword Absolutely. stuffing ends up creating like this very unnatural sounding text. Oh, it's like a Frankenstein of, of words. One thing I would recommend doing is always running your content through Hemingway app before you put it online. What the and heck is Hemingway? And making sure Oh, Hemingway app is awesome. It, it tells you what grade level you're writing on and uh, writing at. And if you're having any um, gr grotesque grammatical errors, it's wonderful. And I would recommend writing at the fourth, fifth, or sixth grade level. Hmm. And which sometimes can be, I find that challenging, but with this app, you just really, you know, you start to kind of pare down your words and you're like, you know what? I don't need that connector word there, or I do need a connector word here. Or, oh, I'm, I'm writing in that, the passive voice on accident. And it's a, it's a really powerful tool. It's hundred percent free. Cool. I'm linking to that as well. Uh, yeah. It and sounds it's like, similar it, to Grammarly. Um, it's similar but, to Grammarly, but I like it more. <laughs> you it know, I'm looking at it, it, it looks really good. Score. And like yeah. I pay for Grammarly. This seems pretty great. Yeah. Um, and the advantage to like you say, all right, like shoot for you know, a fifth grade level. I mean, the the average newspaper in America is at a sixth grade level. And that is to make it more inclusive. It also makes it much easier to skim and read. So it's not right. like don't think of it as like her advice is dumb it down no it's make it more accessible to people in a hurry absolutely people do not read at the depth especially on their phones that that you would as in a book because you're just trying to get the content into your brain as quickly as you can like um that. and and then kurt i wanted to just answer your question real quick regarding the review oh yeah. and and yes it is important that you reply to your reviews it's important that you get reviews. It's important you have structured data on your store. Here's why. Google gives preference to stores that create and have new and fresh content. So if, you, if you're the type of store, which many stores are, where you only have to have like three to five, five flagship items or heck, one flagship item, you need those reviews and, and probably a blog to create consistent content and to show that you're still relevant. 
if that makes sense. No, it does. Yeah. Uh, so like the recency uh, of update creates relevancy, indicates yes. relevancy. Yes. Okay. The So you said, yeah, there's 200 ranking factors or more. Well, okay, there's another one right there. Yes, and it's a big one too because Google's called it out on their uh, the webmaster blog. The All right, so we're going a little long, but I have two more I really okay, okay. want to get in here. One, as long as we're on the topic of product pages, I want to talk about titles. So, and this is an interesting one. They said, um, I'm looking for best practice for creating titles, especially with a focus on products that have multiple variants, like part number and color, or maybe, you know, have multiple fitments or applications. So they've got a very specific uh, example in mind here. They're selling car parts and like brake pads. So they're they're trying to figure out, like, do I list, is it better to have, you know, one listing for brake pads that says, you know, like StopTech performance brake pads, or, and then in there you pick like from one of 10 cars, or do I break it out into multiple products? Like, you know, StopTech brake pads fits your Mitsubishi Evo. So, oh, this was so specific. It's so specific. And the real answer is it depends on the traffic to your store. If, if you have a lot of Mitsubishi traffic specifically, yeah, you're going to want that to be its own product. In a perfect world, what I like to say is you want to have, if let's say you've got this flagship item or this one item with 10 variants, you want to direct all that traffic to one page, right? Because that's that shows this huge consolidation of traffic and all of this pull. But it really depends on what's going to convert. What matters most when it comes to titles is do, do you want or does your end user or buyer want to click on the blue link? So think in terms of click-through rate. Yeah, like think of it, think of it in terms of click-through rate. Your title and your meta description, think of that like your title is like a headline and your meta description is just getting people to click on your headline. It's like the byline. That's the entire purpose of a title and meta description. Okay. I yeah, that is a good way to think about it. So like, yeah, I want my keyword in there. Yeah, I want it to be relevant. But ultimately, someone does a search, they're probably going to see the product title I gave it. And here, if you really want to throw another monkey wrench in the works, Google will occasionally rewrite your product title for you um, they or page title for you. They'll put in... Um, but yes, so they will. Write it for, it's not good enough. <laughs> <laughs> write it for click-through rate, where it's like, okay, yes. will this get someone to click through to the site? Um yeah, I mean, that's, I don't think there's like a right or wrong way to do it as long as the title um, is relevant to how people are using it and to the audience. Yeah. Final question. Okay. How much time should I spend creating content versus building backlinks? I don't think, okay. Controversial <laughs> opinion. You should spend almost 98 to, um, you should, you should be spending the bulk of your time creating content. And then building relationships so that when you do get a backlink, it's from a really like authentic source. So if you're selling apparel, for instance, or actually let's say you're selling jewelry, building relationships with companies that sell apparel and then doing co some co-marketing efforts so that you can get organic backlinks. Yeah, that's important, but you still have to build the content to begin with. And content, content, content is so important because Google's going to change all sorts of things, right? They have the power to change whatever they want. What I have never seen them change in all of these years is how much they care about content. In fact, they care about content more and more because it's one thing you just cannot automate. You can't fake content. You just can't fake it. 
No, and if any attempt to fake it is going to be gruesome. Oh, awful. Yeah, uh, just, so yes, exactly. Well, and even you you could you are the sole person who controls what gets published on your website and what gets published on your social right. media. So Content is something you could control, and you can get better at figuring out what gets engagement, what gets click-throughs, um, what shows up in organic search, and you could work through it and start narrowing it down. It is 100%. It is difficult. It is time-consuming, but it won't be the insanely frustrating exercise that is uh, trying to run a backlink campaign and get and just work on getting backlinks to your website. The only way you're going to get those backlinks is if you have something truly valuable for someone to link back to. That people want to link to. Right. So yeah, you got to start right. with with the the content, and that has to be your priority. You're right. Uh, right, absolutely. This has been extraordinary. This has been quite the the crash course in Shopify SEO. <laughs> Where can people go to learn more about you? You know, I have a Twitter. It's at Rian Katie R H I A N K A T I E. I am building a personal website, but I have not done it yet. So everyone hold tight. I've got a lot more time on my hands right now. And of course, my company's website is ventov.com, V-E-N-N-T-O-V.com. Excellent. All of this is in the show notes. You have given me so many links. There's quite a lot of stuff <laughs> in these show notes. It's very good. I love love having tools and resources and guides. Um, so we got that in here. Fabulous. Uh, Miss, Miss Rianne. I greatly appreciate this. This was a great episode. Thank you. My pleasure. I hope everyone stays healthy and well, and I'll chat with you soon. Big news from our friends at Out of the Sandbox this month. Their newest theme just launched. It's called Flex. And it's for those of us who loved all the bells and whistles and turbo, but thought, I need more of this. That's where Flex is a game changer for you. It can be configured in an endless number of ways thanks to more layout and section options than ever, more granular control of settings, and easy addition of custom CSS through the theme editor. It's perfect for development agencies like ourselves, as well as e-commerce entrepreneurs like you looking to create a unique online store experience for your customers. Now here's the coolest part. Flex has a new Demo Shop Import feature that allows you to fast-track your shop setup based on any of 12 demo shops. You get all of the theme settings, layouts, content, and sections used in that demo shop of your choice applied automatically to your store. You can check Flex out right now at outofthesandbox.com. And if you like it, take 20% off the purchase price when you use code PODCAST20 at checkout. That's outofthesandbox.com and code PODCAST20. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.